This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillahi wahda. Wa salatu wa salamu ala malla nabiya ba'da. Amma ba'd. Welcome back to another Q&A on our Tuesday uh, episodes. And as usual, uh, please continue to send me your emails and your questions at askyq at epicmasjid.org. That is askyq, one word, at epicmasjid, one word, dot org. And please try your best to keep the questions as generic as possible. And uh, make sure that you just mention uh, a name that I can mention online and also uh, a place that you are emailing or from so that I can also mention geographic location. And once again, please do understand, I cannot respond to individual emails. I am, alhamdulillah, inundated with hundreds of emails and I have to simply choose the ones for our uh, broad-based audience to answer here in this lecture. So I cannot answer specific emails or else um, I don't have the time to do that. Allah musta'an, Allah musta'an. In any case, inshallah, today, uh, disclaimer that this is a uh, uh, a Q&A that will be somewhat sexually explicit uh, and so viewer discretion is advised and uh, I would suggest that only those who are above the age of 15 uh, listen to this or you know if they're mature 13, 14 years old definitely not uh, you know no need for the younger children to listen to this one. So this is uh, an email that I got from uh, Sister Alia and she is graduating from a high school here in America. Um, she's in her final year of high school, so she's a uh, teenager, a young lady. And uh, she is saying that in her syllabus, in her school, there's a lot of discussion regarding the LGBTQ uh, movement and issues. And in particular, she says regarding transgender, issue, uh, tra transgender issues. And uh, she emails, uh, you know, saying that, she understands that you know Islam has its own views on this subject, and so you know to summarize her email, uh, she wants to know how we as Muslims should view uh, this entire uh, spectrum, and also how she, as a person in a particular high school here in America, how she should interact. A lot of her classmates are uh, identifying with one of these letters, and uh, you know she's wondering, well, what should she do as a Muslim in a high school? And in particular, she says that the trans question has really been brought up quite a lot in her class and there are people that identify uh, uh, within this uh, spectrum and so uh, she's emailing me for uh, some spiritual uh, you know advice and Islamic uh, uh, illumination in this topic. Now um, this is a very 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 sensitive topic uh, these days as we're all aware uh, these types of, of uh, discussions uh, are easily misunderstood and uh, people that are very rich and powerful and famous have been what is called cancelled uh, because of because of saying things that are deemed to be politically incorrect. And uh, this shows us the sensitivities around this entire topic. In fact, many are pointing out that these sensitivities are actually bordering on 
uh, curbing or not allowing a, a discussion of an academic nature even. Uh, and uh, very famous professors have been uh, disinvited from universities simply because they might have tweeted something uh, about this subject that is deemed to be uh, controversial, as we're also aware. Uh, you know, even very famous authors, uh, the, the, the author of um, uh, the Harry Potter series, for example, also uh, tweeted something that was deemed to be incorrect, and uh, uh, it caused a huge, uh, you know, um, uh, debate online. And this is uh, a subject that our younger students, our next generation, is asking. And so uh, we cannot remain quiet, to be honest. Um, and I seek Allah's help and uh, uh, and protection from any evil that might happen in the end of the day. Uh, we, as especially those who have trained in the Islamic sciences, it is our duty and responsibility to clarify to mankind, regardless of the consequences. So I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his hidayah and tawfiq, and I ask Allah for his uh, protection. Uh, in the end of the day, it is our job to clarify what Islam says. And uh, it, if we are truly sincere to uh, the religion of Allah, then uh, we must take in the criticism of the criticizers, critic, uh, criticizers and face the consequences. Uh, but at the same time, that does require, uh, Allah does not ask us to be foolish. Allah asks us to be wise and to speak in a way that بِلَّتِهِ أَحْسَنْ وَجَادِلْهُمْ بِلَّتِهِ أَحْسَنْ I say all of this because we are also seeing a counter-reaction, and this is a, a, a prelude to the entire conversation and the entire question. What we are seeing is an entire spectrum of response to this uh, question of the LGBTQ and how we deal with it. Uh, on the one hand, uh, we have uh, some uh, people of our faith and background who seem to acquiesce to the pressure around them, or maybe because they're not grounded in Islamic sciences or not really aware of what the Sharia says or they don't understand what Islam came with, that they feel that if popular society is allowing it, then they too should allow it. And so they uh, fall into this believing that Islam justifies this entire spectrum. And that is of course uh, extremely incorrect and it shows a lack of knowledge and perhaps a lack of commitment even. Like our job is to submit to what our Sharia has come with. That's what the goal of Islam is. So that is one extreme. Uh, you also have uh, the other extreme in which uh, people seem to think that proclaiming the truth means that we speak in the most vulgar manner and in the harshest manner and in the most unwise manner. And they think that bravery is the same as foolishness, that so that the more foolish one is and the more harsh one is, this is what the Sharia requires. And this too shows uh, not a lack of commitment, but I would say it shows a lack of knowledge really. It shows a lack of experience as well. Because again, generally speaking, we find this type of mentality in particular amongst what is typically called the internet warriors because they don't do this in their own corporations, by the way. They don't do this in actual real life. Uh, but they take comfort in the anonymity of the internet or perhaps in the fact that the internet is something that they can simply type on in their computer screens and they don't have to deal about in the real world. And so they act in an extremely unwise manner, thinking that Islam asks them to preach the truth in a manner that is not meant to convince people, but rather perhaps turns away people. And if you look at our Prophet Lut who was sent to a nation that was engaged in the height of this immorality, the first nation that publicly accepted this immorality. Why don't we look at the language he used? 
and the interactions he had with his people. He lived in a land and in a city where this was the norm. And he must have interacted with them and bought and sold his goods and foods and, and get along, got along in society. You have to, if you're living you know, uh, with people that you disagree with, you still have to get along with them at the social level. And when he criticized them, he used a language that got the point across. For example, in one famous verse, he said, "Inni li amalikum min al that I am against the actions that you do. These actions that you do, I don't like them. And so he kind of distinguished. Not that, not that theoretically there is a distinguishment between the sin and the sinner, as some Christians say. In the end of the day, we as Muslims. Uh, we don't fully distinguish between the sin and the sinner because when the sinner commits the sin, the sin does exist within the sinner. And so to be a little bit philosophical, there is no sin without the sinner committing the sin. So when we don't like the sin, we're also not liking one aspect of the sinner who's committing the sin. But we can also appreciate the good of the sinner as well. The point being when you're speaking to the sinner, when you're interacting with those that are involved in fahish and evil. There is a way and a language that it will be the most effective. And the Sharia asks us to be the most effective. This is very clear in the Quran and in the interactions of the Prophet ﷺ with the Quraysh that only those that are obstinate and arrogant should we re repel uh, with a type of you know anger and harshness. Otherwise, the general public that is unaware of the truth of Islam, the general public that don't really know our faith, we have to preach in the best of manners and the wisest of words. And I say this because you know our problem is we have this group of you know disgruntled you know uh, uh, youngsters that are very vicious in their attacks against most of the uh, uh, mainstream uh, clergy, most of the mainstream preachers, because they view the mainstream preachers as being uh, not harsh enough. And in reality, uh, these preachers are inshallah embodying the prophetic model, the way that we're supposed to interact and preach and teach. You get the message across, right? Without insulting the person that you're trying to get the message across to. So I say all of this as a disclaimer, because our uh, young sister is emailing and she wants an answer and the answers that myself and many will give will be inshallah embodying the values of Islam couched in the language that the Sharia wants us to interact with. And I hope that even in this there is a lesson, even in this there is a, uh, a teaching moment of how we preach the truth unto others. That was all the muqaddimah or the introduction. Now, our sister asks that, uh, you know, how should we as Muslims understand this uh, entire trend of the LGBTQ plus, uh, you know, uh, movement. And to respond to this, I began that the first thing that we should always do is understand where these things are coming from. What is the origin, you know, of these types of trends? Because all too often, uh, we don't really understand that much of what we're, is being discussed is actually relatively very recent. It's not something that was defined in most of human history. In fact, to classify oneself or to classify a human being based upon their sexual preference is actually an extremely modern phenomenon. I want you to understand this point, right? So all of these, the L is, you know, uh, lesbian, G is gay, B is bisexual. So these are, you know, your sexual preferences. Who are you attracted to, right? What type of partner do you want to be with? To classify a human being based upon their choice of sexuality is actually an extremely modern phenomenon. And one wonders that why is this preference 
Why is this part of one's identity being made to be so important that it becomes the defining characteristic and it becomes something that you should actually have a label for and categorize people under? And this is something that uh, one should also look at in w with respect to another phenomenon, and that is the fluidity of sexual preferences, i.e. it is well known and well documented that one's preference, uh, so let me, let me uh, and again this is an adult topic so allow me to be a little bit explicit here, that uh, Allah created us differently, uh, there's no doubt about that. And even when it comes to intimacy, let's say normal heterosexual intimacy, some people have certain preferences over others. I'm talking about normal married couples, right? Would you take a sexual preference? Would you take something that you are attracted to, you know, that turns you on more, that uh, you prefer, a position that you prefer, or something that you fetishize that might be halal even, because uh, I have a longer talk, you can listen to it about, you know, what is halal, what is not halal in the bedroom. Much of it is halal, right? But some people might like certain things, others might like other things. And Allah has allowed much spectrum of halal in the bedroom. Now. Would it be something that you think is normal to categorize a human being based upon their sexual preference, based upon which specific issue they like more than others? Does that make sense? I mean, it's something that I have a particular like in cuisine. I like a particular color better than others. Is this a defining characteristic that I should be calling myself the biryani person? I like biryani more than I like you know, another dish, for example. Think about it, why is this uh, personal preference becoming so important that an entire identity is being created out of it. Even if we were to say that a particular person is attracted to the same or to the opposite, is it really something that is so more so uh, important definitively that it should be extracted out and a label be put on the person that this person should identify? And if we look at history in reality, this is an extremely relatively late phenomenon it actually begins literally uh, in the last generation or even in the generation when I was a child growing up basically. So it's really kind of sort of our own uh, generation. Uh, of course, I'm not saying that uh, uh, same-sex uh, intimacy uh, is unheard of. Of course, you know, back to the time of the Prophet Lut it was well known. And historically, I'm simply speaking historically, that uh, generally speaking throughout almost all civilizations and cultures, especially those of the Judeo-Christian Islamic heritage, the Abrahamic uh, heritage, that uh, such actions, actions were deemed not just immoral, but actually illegal. That for the bulk of history of uh, Judeo-Christian Western civilization and Eastern civilization that uh, people who were engaging in these actions and were caught would actually be punished by the law. This is in Western lands up until uh, relatively recent times. And the rise of this movement really began, uh, I mean, technically one can say that 19, late 1970s, early 1970s, but in reality, up until the 80s, mainstream society did not view these trends as being uh, something to be embraced. Uh, rather, they felt that these were trends that should not be publicized. Even if somebody is engaging in it, don't make it center of attention. Uh, what's happening behind closed doors? I mean, not everything needs to be publicized. This was the norm when I was growing up in the 80s. And uh, the term itself, uh, the, the terms itself that were used to describe these actions were actually pretty uh, harsh, if you like, sodomy or buggery or these types of things. Uh, it was only relatively recently where a German psychiatrist invented the term homosexual uh, to make it mo sound more uh, scientific. 
and in the 1960s, uh, that movement embraced the term gay because they thought that it was more positive and less uh, shameful. And then with the advent of the women's rights in the 1970s, the female equivalent wanted a term specific for them, so they coined a term lesbian. This term did not exist until the 70s. They coined a term lesbian from uh, uh, the mythological um, uh, island of Lesbos in which apparently there was a famous poet who was attracted, to, uh, she was a female, she was attracted to women, so there was a famous poet, so they kind of crafted a term uh, from this. And then afterwards in the 70s, 80s, the term bisexual was also made um, uh, popular, uh, uh, meaning attracted to both genders. And then once again in Germany, for some reason a lot of this is going back to Germany, uh, the term transvestite was also uh, used when sex change operations began. Uh, and this is again relatively recent in this uh, century of ours. Now the term LGBT was first coined, it is uh, said around 1988-89, relatively recent. I was in high school at the time, so it's not that that you know that old. And what historically what happened was these various trends, so uh, lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, and transgender, these various trends decided that they should cooperate together to try to achieve respectability and normalcy in society. Because as uh, uh, we all know historically, or we should know, that each of these trends is of course distinct, and generally speaking, they were not viewed as mainstream. They were not viewed as uh, being within the, the norms of morality. Even if they existed underground, they existed uh, you know, uh, behind closed doors, but there's no need to uh, popularize them. So in uh, the late 70s, early 80s, trends, these trends decided to come together and to become very public. The term coming out of the closet became popular that we should tell people that we are like this and we should have uh, acceptability. And as more and more uh, trends uh, decided to uh, join uh, this, this um, entourage or this bandwagon, so the terms began to be expounded uh, until there was a point where there was something called LGBTQQIP2SAA. This is actually a term here. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, queer, intersex, pansexual, two-spirit, androgynous, asexual, all of these uh, are, are there. And then it was just decided LGBTQIA or maybe LGBTQ+. And the plus here means everything else. The plus here means basically everything else. Now, uh, we should be aware, uh, and I'm speaking again to uh, this question is asked by a teenager in high school, so once again I'm trying to explain. We should be aware that uh, the, the, the default of mankind, uh, the way that Allah created us of course is male and female, and the way that Allah created us, the default is that opposite genders attract and that marriage takes place and that within marriage intimacy occurs and that from that intimacy families are formed and that families become the nuclear unit of society. This is the norm throughout all of human history and it is it was enshrined in laws for the bulk of human history. Uh, this normative understanding is called heteronormativity heteronormativity. And this is the claim that the default and preferred biological norm is to be heterosexual. Now, heteronormativity is considered to be a bad thing by modern culture. Uh, but the Abrahamic faiths are heteronormative. So here is the fundamental clash that to say what I have just said, that the default is that God created man in male and female, and that Allah Azza wa intended for the opposites to attract and get married, 
and have children and remain intimate only within that marriage. That to even say this is considered a type of hate speech. Even to say this and believe it. So to believe therefore that opposites attract and that's the way it should be, has become in the modern vernacular something that is deemed to be hateful. And that is their worldview. And uh, another term that you should be aware of is uh, cisgender. And cisgender is a term that is used to indicate that the gender you identify with is the same as the gender assigned to you at birth. So uh, there's something called biological sex, you're male or female, and then there's something called gender, how you identify. And once again, from the Abrahamic traditions, from the Bible and the Quran, the Old and New Testament and the Quran, uh, from religious traditions, uh, the, 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 the gender you're born into, uh, the gender you're born with, the male or female, uh, is the gender that you have for the rest of your life. And we're gonna come back to this point as well. Uh, however, once again, the, the, the normative understanding, biologically and uh, um, religiously, is now being challenged. And to make this statement once again is being deemed to be hate speech. So to be heteronormative or to be uh, promoting cisgenderism, uh, these are all technical terms that basically means you are biologically saying what most of mankind said for the bulk of its history. Uh, but uh, to, to, to claim this is to somehow be a part of the hateful movement against the rest of mankind. What we are being taught, and perhaps you know this is something your syllabus is also teaching you, is that the notion of heterosexuality being the norm is something that has been reinforced via social beliefs, politics, religion, policies, and media. And that it is time to challenge this. This is what the new movement is saying, that we have to challenge this notion of heteronormativity. And we should try to shake up this reality and understand that gender is something you have the right to choose. You can adapt to any of this spectrum because you are an individual that is free to make any choice that you want. Now, this is of course something that uh, we as Muslims, uh, frankly, disagree with. And uh, we say that Allah Azza wa Jal very clearly in the Quran says that He created you from a male and female. And from these two, He spread forth multitudes of men and women. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that وَلَا تَتَمَنَّوْ مَا فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ بِهِ بَعْضَكُمْ عَلَىٰ بَعْضٍ لِلْرِجَالِ نَصِيبٌ مِمَكْتَسَبُ وَلِلْنِسَاءِ نَصِيبٌ مِمَكْتَسَبْنَا That uh, do not desire uh, to have what Allah has given the each over the other. And this is, the verse is about genders. And Allah is saying that do not be do not be desirous, do not want to uh, have the perks and blessings of the other. Each one has. Men have their share, whatever Allah has given them. And women have their share, whatever Allah has given them. So each of the two genders has basically a type of default gender roles and a type of default 
of the Sharia. Now, again, much of these gender roles can be negotiated. They're not obligatory, but there is a default of what is expected of the genders. And there is a default in the Sharia of what the genders should and should not do. The entire books of fiqh, basically almost from beginning to end, have minor differences in law about purification, you know, and about prayer rituals, and about fasting, and about hajj, and about inheritance, and about marriage, and about divorce. Now throughout all of this, these differentiations indicate that there is a reality uh, difference between these two genders. That having been said, this distinction is not meant to prefer one over the other. The Quran is very clear, that don't prefer what one has been blessed over the other, men have and women have. And Allah says, the, the two of you are from each other. And Allah says that whoever does good, male or female, I shall give them the reward that they deserve. And so the Quran is very clear, men and women are spiritually equal. The two are not more or less human. They have the same potential to enter Jannah. They have the same equality in the eyes of Allah as human beings. However, Allah created men and women biologically different, psychologically different, physiologically different, intellectually and emotionally. Each one has perks that the other does not have. It's not that one has more than the other. No, it's that they are different. Just like we can understand that two human beings, two twins, if one goes to medical school and one goes to architectural school for 10 years and they practice and whatnot, their minds are gonna be different. Their talents are gonna be different. And therefore they're gonna have different roles. Well, if this is something that you can train, how about that which is biologically embedded? How about that which you're born with, the XX chromosome, the XY chromosome? How about your genitalia? How about your hormones? Allah created the two differently. Is it therefore surprising that as a default, the Sharia has come with uh, a gender norm as well, that the woman, the mother, the husband, the father, there are certain things that they are uh, sometimes required to do. The father is required to maintain and pay, uh, you know, uh, money to the wife and to the children. And sometimes it is understood and the Sharia encourages but does not make uh, binding. So all of this being said, uh, the claim that heteronormativity and cisgenderism is something that should be opposed and is unnatural. That is their claim. For us, uh, it is biologically and rationally and historically and religiously the norm, and there's nothing wrong uh, with this. So uh, one point, however, that quite a lot of people ask is that how about uh, you know um, uh, people who are uh, not male or female? And they are born with uh, maybe you know chromosomes that are in uh, you know somewhat both, and this is something that the Sharia does give a slight exception to, and that is called khuntha, khuntha, and khuntha in English is called intersex. So in this term LGBTQI, right? By the way, so in, in case somebody's not aware, so L means obviously lesbian, uh, and that is of course um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, a woman attracted to a woman or a woman being with a woman. Uh, L uh, G, of course, is um, uh, gay, uh, means uh, male attracted to a male. B is bisexual, means sometimes male, sometimes female, depending on what they're attracted to. Uh, the term Q, by the way, uh, people have uh, th themselves differed. What is it over? Uh, some say that Q should mean queer uh, to keep the term because it was a term that was used back in the 70s and 80s. And some say Q means questioning, that you're still questioning all you 
L or are you G or are you B or are you something else, right? So this is um, uh, Q. Uh, T, we're going to come to because our sister specifically asked about T, transgender. Uh, LGBTQIA. So this I is intersex. That's what this intersex is, I. And intersex is the only uh, one of this entire, you know, uh, long string of letters uh, and, and different le letters of the alphabet. I is the only one that the Sharia has given a certain uh, acceptability to in that, yes, it does exist. What is I? I is intersex. An intersex is somebody who is born with biological sex characteristics that aren't clearly male or female. Now, intersex itself is a very, very rare phenomenon. Perhaps 1% out of, you know, so every 100 people, perhaps, you know, 1% would be categorized as intersex. And even within this, there are around 40 plus variations of intersex. So basically, a little bit lesson in biology, and I'm no biologist teacher, so forgive me for being simple, but I don't wanna, you know, make any mistakes. Obviously, the default of mankind, 99 point something percent of mankind are either born XX, uh, which is woman, female, or XY, which is male. So XX is, is female and XY is male. This is like 99 point something percent of mankind. 1% or less, they have a permutation, XXY, XYY, XXX, so they have uh, XXX, they have multiple permutations, which is considered to be not the norm. This is the less than 1%. This is intersex. And there are 40 plus such variations. Now, the majority of those born within these variations are so trivial that they don't even know that they have an issue until they become uh, older in age and something happens. Either uh, they are not able to have children or um, you know, uh, their genitalia is not developing normally um, or something of this nature. You know, maybe they don't have, uh, you know, if it's a woman, she doesn't have her menstrual uh, uh, flow. When medical exam is done, it's discovered, oh, she is particularly like this. But they live their lives looking, acting, talking, and being one of the two genders. There is only a very, very, very small uh, group of people uh, that is called complex intersex. That's a very true gonadal intersex it is called. That, and this is extremely rare. Don't, don't quote me, but I think it's 0.001%. Like very, very rare in which there are both ovarian and testicular, testicular tissues. You have a little bit of male and uh, female. This is also called true hermaphrodit, herm excuse me, I'm not a biologist, hermaphroditism, true hermaphroditism. This is what is called in the Sharia, I can tell you the Sharia terms with much more ease, khuntha al-mushkil, the difficult hermaphrodite. This is where uh, perhaps both organs can be visible biologically. And this is the one category, intersex overall, and the, the khuntha mushkil in particular, where the Sharia has said that uh, if an operation needs to be done, then yes, it may be done. That uh, if um, uh, uh, one of the two genders you know, can be preferred over the other, then that should be taking place, no problem. Uh, and so there's some leeway given, but even for uh, this category, the Sharia says that one of the two needs to be chosen and then defaulted for the Sharia purposes. So that person will be treated like one of the two genders until they uh, pass away. Uh, and so this is the intersex category. And as I said, they are the ones 
whose actual you know, uh, uh, DNA, uh, the biological characteristics uh, are different and they are not simply XX nor are they XY. Their sexual chromosomes are uh, varied and that category uh, much can be done, uh, surgeries, if hormones need to be done, that's a very unique category and they are known uh, by testing and sometimes at birth, but as I said, sometimes they're not even aware until they themselves are um, older. Uh, so, and by the way, this term LGBTQIA, uh, uh, what is A by the way, I forgot to mention A. A is for asexual that those who don't find themselves attracted to any sexual orientation. And if a person is asexual, there's no problem in that. So there's no need to put it in this in this long list. A person is not required to get married and a person can live a, a life without any partner. So there's no problem from a Sharia perspective to be the A uh, in this. And there's no need to make this any issue. If a person has no desires whatsoever, and there are you know few people that are like that, they may just live their lives as a single human being. Or if they wanna find a partner of the opposite gender who is a similar and they are aware of the situation and they want to live like this, no problem. That is also uh, uh, possible. By the way, just FYI, so this plus at the end, right? It basically means a whole spectrum of uh, things. The last time I checked, um, there's something called, you know, well, I don't want to mention the website, but there are websites out there that talk about these things for, for purposes of education. I looked, I logged on to this a few weeks ago to, to prepare a lecture. Uh, the plus category, when I logged on, last I checked, it had more than 249 different categories. Of them, just to give you an idea, is pansexual, someone who can feel sexual attraction to any person in the spectrum. Of them is genderqueer, someone who doesn't identify with either male or female. Their identity doesn't fit in with what society has deemed male or female. Of them is gender fluid, someone who feels their identity changes depending on how they feel. There's a third gender, there's a demi-gender, uh, a weak or partial connection to one gender. So if a boy sometimes feels like a girl, that would be a demi-girl. There's bi-gender, pan-gender, agender, and I can go on and on and on. So that plus category is simply an indication of lots of different, you know, um, uh, fine differences between this uh, notion of how one wants to identify. Now, my point being, from the Sharia's perspective, and I've given longer talks about this, we look at sexuality in a very different manner. Sexuality is a gift from Allah when it is used properly. And it could be a test if it is used improperly. And the fact that we have sexual desires is normal. There's nothing wrong with that. And Allah created us upon the default. And the default is to be attracted to the opposite gender. And we're supposed to control that default until we get married and use that sexual energy to solidify the marriage and to have children and to maintain a happy bond between couples. That's the ideal and the norm. Does that mean that no alternatives exist? Of course they do exist. And throughout human history, there have been aberrations. These aberrations don't need to become the norm, nor should they need to be publicized more than it needs to. And if a person falls into uh, one of them and commits a sin, that is between that person and Allah, they don't need to make a normative tradition about it. There are things that happen that shouldn't happen. Adultery happens. It shouldn't happen. If it does happen, should we go and publicize 
criticize it, should we make a category of people, these are the adultery people, and they're identifying as adultery people, and we want people to accept them because they're engaging in adultery. You know, sometimes if an indiscretion happens, we ask Allah's forgiveness, that's between us and Allah, but to propagate it like adultery, let's make adultery the norm, let's say, right? Let's make this something a part of this entire spectrum. Let's put a category for those that commit adultery. Why should anybody disrespect its consenting adults? Uh, our society has not yet deemed adultery to be acceptable. So it's not on this list. We understand it doesn't make any sense to publicize this as a category. We should understand the same applies to every other aspect, especially the LGBTQ. As for intersex, is beyond their control. As I said, it's not something that uh, anybody should be ashamed of. Allah, you know, created them that way, and they're able to uh, allow surgery or whatnot. So our sister asks about the gender, the, the term T in particular, transgender, and transgender is a very broad term and it has underneath it many categories. But the main aspect that unites all of them is that a transgendered person is not uh, content with their biological sex that they're born into. As I said, uh, that movement differentiates between gender and sex. So you're born with a biological sex, male or female, then they say you might identify with a gender as you grow up. You can choose your gender. As for us, your gender, should be the same as your biological sex. If Allah created you, you know, XX, or Allah created you XY, then your gender and your sex are either male or female. And for only the intersex people, that less than 1%, we can, uh, you know, uh, do surgeries if need be, or take hormones or whatever, and we will uh, ascribe them to one of the two categories for the purposes of this world, for the purposes of legal rulings, for the purposes of inheritance and uh, whatnot. Now, um, so as we said, transgender is a broad term, and it basically means that a person wants to choose a gender that is not the same as their as their biological gender. So transgender is the opposite of cisgender. Cisgender, you're born male, you wanna be a male. You're born female, you wanna be a female. And for us Abrahamic traditions, we think that is the normative uh, tradition. As for transgenderism, there's three different things. And again, I'm being very simplistic because uh, this is not the time to go into a lot of detail. There's three aspects we can look at. Number one, gender dysphoria. Number two, gender expression. And number three, gender transition. This is gonna be uh, the three things. Gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is the belief that biological sex and the gender that you assume are not matching up. So you're born male, but you feel female. You're born female, but you feel male, okay? Gender dysphoria, is that the biological sex you were born into does not match the way you feel and you wanna be treated and your internal perception. And gender dysphoria in and of itself is something that the Sharia would classify as feelings. And as I have said many times, feelings in and of themselves are not going to be held accountable nor shall they be sinful. Even a person who has same-sex feelings is not going to be punished for those feelings. Feelings will not get you punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's doing more than feelings. So perhaps at some level, gender dysphoria is really not something that uh, we as Muslims uh, should consider to be anything that is uh, to, to be looked down upon. On the contrary, if a person comes to us struggling with this, 
we should help them in this regard, except that Allah has tested people with different trials and this might be a particular trial for them. So gender dysphoria, and I have spoken to a number of people uh, that have come to me with this and I have, and I continue to learn, I'm always gonna say this is something that, you know, it's not a very common phenomenon in our subculture, so we will learn and interact and see. So gender dysphoria in and of itself, um, we don't understand why this is the case. Perhaps there are biological factors, perhaps there are you know, cultural factors of upbringing, whatever it might be, in the end of the day, it is a feeling. And if nothing is done to act upon that feeling, we will tell this person, our brother in faith, our sister in faith, that you know, uh, indeed, the way that you feel is something that uh, you don't have to necessarily act upon and try your best to maintain uh, the gender that you were born into because our Prophet wasallam said that uh, Allah's curse is upon the man who is effeminate and the woman who is masculine, the one who acts masculine. So the man who acts effeminate, I should say, not the, let me change the hadith, the man who acts effeminate and the woman who acts you know, in a masculine manner. So as long as you don't act in that manner, then this is something that the Sharia will not consider to be something sinful. The second is gender expression, in which you are male or you are female, but you act out, you dress in the manner of the opposite gender. And this is also called uh, uh, being a transvestite or being a drag queen. So you might identify even with the gender of your birth. You're gonna say, I'm a male and you're born biologically male, or I'm a female and you're born biologically female. But for whatever reason, either permanently or temporarily, you will dress and you will act like the opposite gender. And perhaps even you will want to identify with the pronouns of the opposite gender. And for us as Muslims, we say that is not something that is acceptable and we need to curb this and not do it if we believe in Allah and His Messenger. So this is gender expression that our Prophet uh, said that this is something that uh, uh, this is something that the divine curse is upon. We do not act out. There are there are characteristics and traits that are masculine. There are characteristics and traits that are feminine. Now, if it's beyond our control, some men speak in a very soft voice. Some women have a deep voice. Obviously, this is beyond your control. But to go beyond uh, what you are born with and to act and dress and be pretending to be of the other gender, that is not something that we uh, do. And then the third point and the final point, gender transition, which is uh, actually taking hormones or doing a surgery in which you physically change your organs. Uh, this is uh, gender reassignment surgery. This is also called uh, transsexual, uh, uh, transsexualism. Uh, and this is something that uh, the Sharia uh, does not uh, allow uh, no fiqh counsel in the world, to the best of my knowledge, that is Sunni. There, it is true that uh, non-Sunni, there's a particular famous ayatullah that has allowed it, uh, but uh, Sunni fiqh councils have not, and, and no mainstream scholar. There are a few uh, voices on the uh, you know um, perimeters that are, but generally speaking, this is not something that is considered to be permissible, and. Once again, not every feeling and not every desire needs to be acted out. There are some desires and feelings that are uh, painful and difficult. Uh, some people are attracted to alcohol, some people are attracted to drugs, some people are attracted to other things. Some of these attractions might be permissible. If you're attracted to the opposite gender, you wanna get married, 
that's all permissible. Some of these attractions are not permissible. If they're not, they must be curbed and not acted upon. So to conclude, this is a very sensitive topic. I know much more needs to be said, but our sister from high school asked a very basic question. And so to respond to this question, we say that we need to contextualize this movement, understand that much of this movement uh, is trying to mainstream what might be have existed, but not necessarily been mainstream. As Muslims, we uh, must preach the truth, but that doesn't mean we treat anybody rudely. We treat everybody with the dignity and respect that a human being deserves. Just because I disagree with somebody's lifestyle doesn't mean I have to be rude to them. We're, we're polite to everybody. We're polite to even people who don't believe in God or worship a false God. So you can be polite to everybody in your class, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, your close friends and those whom you associate with on a more personal level, you should, they should be people who have a positive influence on you and follow the faith and the morality and, and the traditions that you believe in. And uh, also in this issue of the trans issue, uh, we say if somebody feels a particular way, they should try their best to control the feelings. If they act upon it, that is where uh, uh, things occur that we believe are immoral. And even if that acting occurs, doesn't leave the fold of Islam, they should repent, turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah forgives all sins. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide all of us to that which He loves, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect all of us and our loved ones and our families. Until next time, Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ وَالْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ وَالْقَانِتِينَ وَالْقَانِتَاتِ وَالصَّادِقِينَ وَالصَّادِقَاتِ وَالصَّابِرِينَ وَالصَّابِرَاتِ وَالْخَاشِعِينَ وَالْخَاشِعَاتِ والخاشعين والخاشعات والمتصدقين والمتصدقات والصائمين والصائمات والحافظين فروجهم والحافظات والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرات أعد الله لهم مغفرة وأجرا عظيما